This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Wednesday the 18th of November. So Norman, let's talk about South Australia again today. And Why? <laughs> We know that they're dealing with an outbreak there at the moment. It's really early days and it's sort of hard to tell how it's going to go. Uh, yesterday we heard that there didn't seem to be much in the way of community transmission, which is good to hear, but it's a bit too early to sort of go, awesome, no community transmission, we're out of the woods, isn't it? It is. And I just need to remind Coronacast listeners, not that they need to be reminded because there are no world authorities on the coronavirus, but this virus can go underground. It can go underground with younger people, asymptomatic spread, and then just pop up some time later. And it can be some weeks later. And just to remind you, in, in Washington state, at the beginning of the pandemic, it went underground for about six weeks. And this has been going now for over a week. Some suggestions even back to the 7th of November rather than the 9th of November, which is what we thought... The other day when we started this discussion about South Australia, that's a long time for the virus to be out there and circulating. And you just don't know where it's gone. And there may be another subcluster or a spread somewhere else, which just will pop up in a few days time or even in a couple of weeks time. So you just cannot relax. And it means that testing numbers should be really high. They should be looking at sewage. And um, they maybe even should be starting to think about asymptomatic testing as well, so that you, you, you know, you're getting mass testing of communities. Because the numbers of tests actually look low. Even pro rata, thinking of South Australia as about a quarter the size of Melbourne, population-wise, they still feel low. And I don't have the numbers to hand, but when there was an outbreak in Shepparton, a lot of people came forward disproportionately far more than are coming forward in South Australia. And it's not just people who are asymptomatic that, it, it, yes, it can go under the radar in people who have low or no symptoms. But in addition to that, there's this few days lag between when someone's exposed to the virus and then when they start showing symptoms or could test positive for it. So that life cycle of the virus kind of can play on our complacency if we let it. That's right. So five days is average, but it can be longer than that. And the nearer you get to when symptoms would have come out, if you know you can be asymptomatic, but you know you start to become positive, more and more positive, five to eight days into the infection, then that positivity rate declines. And just having one test, for example, may not be enough. You may have to go back for more. So this is something that, that, that you just cannot relax about. you just got to be on now for the next couple of weeks at least. So what do we know about the numbers of South Australians who are trying to get tested? Because I'm hearing anecdotal reports that people are trying and are getting turned away. Yeah, and that happened in Victoria in the early days where they just hadn't got the pop-up testing and the increased capacity. So hopefully that's going to improve dramatically. But it was pretty unimpressive on day one in terms of the response to the numbers of South Australians kindly coming forward for testing. Although we hear Coronacast listeners have been telling us that they got the results pretty quickly, as they indeed should. And in any event, you don't know how many people left the lines because they got fed up waiting. It's really important that people do come forward. There was a disturbing survey from the Australian Bureau of Statistics, which they'd surveyed people and found that about half, one in two Australians would not come forward for testing if they only had mild symptoms. They would have, more would come forward if they had severe symptoms, but not mild symptoms. And we just have to remind people that 
mild symptoms are a problem too. Well, we put the call out yesterday to you, our listeners, especially those of you who are living in South Australia, to say what's happening with you and how you're feeling. And a bunch of you responded, thank you so much for that. And Kate's saying she waited for three hours yesterday to get her child tested, but the result came back today negative, thankfully, in less than 24 hours. So a long time to wait to get the test, but pretty quick turnaround of the results. Yeah, and it's great. And it's a, you know it's really a communal spirit there, Kate, to actually do that and get into that line and stick it out because you're, you're thinking about others as well as yourselves. So that's fantastic. And then we've got Gwen, who's sort of at the other end of the spectrum, saying uh, Gwen's pretty ticked off at a massive overreaction, which is she's calling it to every time someone sneezes. She was looking forward to travelling to Queensland to see her parents. Now she can't go without being forced into hotel quarantine that she can't afford. Uh, and she's saying that the New South Wales leader is the only one being sensible about all this. The problem, of course, to the other states is not knowing how much virus there is in South Australia, but that should become clear over the next few days. It probably is an overreaction to close the borders. The risk is low. They could do what they did before, which is that we know this is a parafield cluster, and the, uh, so the cluster is reasonably localised at the moment. They could limit the people coming in from those particular areas. But Adelaide is a small town, and um, so it's much harder to divide off the suburbs as easily. So yeah, if you're living in South Australia and you want to tell us what it's like where you are or ask us a question, you know where to go, abc.net.au slash coronacast. Click on Ask Us Your Questions and mention coronacast in your questions so that we can find it. And so then, Norman, the other big news that's come out in the last day or so is that a COVID-19 vaccine candidate by Moderna has released results saying that it's 95% effective. So very similar to the results that we heard from Pfizer just last week. Yeah, that's comforting because Moderna is the same technology. It's the mRNA technology and they're both getting around about 90% on interim results. So this is not final results. It's on a press release. The thing about the Moderna vaccine is that they're complying with the regime that the National Institute of Health have put in place where they've got an independent data review committee and Moderna is part of that and Pfizer wasn't. So Moderna is kind of sharing their information in a way where, which is a bit more transparent than Pfizer has. Nonetheless, it's getting the same sort of figure. So it's 90%. That's right. Uh, but Australia has existing agreements to secure access to four different vaccines, but the Moderna vaccine isn't one of them. Should Australia be trying to get this vaccine um, sort of in writing, or is it just an indicator that our vaccine against COVID is possible and means that the other vaccines will probably be successful as well? Well, it doesn't necessarily mean the others will be successful because uh, so what, what it does is it reinforces that the Pfizer result is probably right. But remember, what this result is, is not into prevention of infection. So in other words, this is not getting this is not stopping infection in the first place. The, these vaccines are designed to pass a regulatory approval, which is they're designed to prevent COVID-19 disease. So what they're allowed to do with this vaccine, they're allowed to let the virus into the body and then attack it once it's in the body to stop it going further and, and creating disease. So when they say they're 90% effective, what they've done is they've registered all the people in the trial who've developed symptoms of COVID-19. They've got the disease. So let's say they've found 100 or so who've had the disease. Why they say it's 94% effective is that 94% you know, of that 100 are in the placebo group and 6% of that 100 odd are in the vaccine group. That's why they say it's 94% effective. 
they haven't yet released whether or not it prevents infection. In other words, how many thousand people of the 40,000 or however many they had got the virus and how many of them were in the placebo group versus the vaccine group. Now, that's not the primary outcome of the trial. Primary outcome of the trial is preventing COVID-19 disease. Infection prevention is a secondary outcome, and they haven't reported on that yet. Still to find that out. If we're really lucky, it prevents infection. If we're not lucky, it doesn't, which means we've got to have a serious discussion about what happens really to international travel, border control, etc., etc., when you've got a vaccine that only prevents disease. It's a really complicated distinction to make, and we're going to try to make it a bit clearer for you guys in the coming days. We're going to get a vaccine expert virologist on, and if you've got questions for them, send them in to the usual place, abc.net.au slash coronacast. Just one last question from Brendan Norman. Uh, On the three cases remaining active in Victoria, he's saying it's now been 18 days with zero cases. How are these three remaining active? Uh, I think these are the cases that are still shedding virus and they're not quite sure why. They've just got some who are long shedders. I think at one point they wondered whether it was a reinfection and that's what's going on there. And as as we've said on Coronacast before, you can get people shedding virus for up to six weeks and I suspect that they just haven't stopped shedding virus. So are these people just going to shed the virus forever? Are they ever going to be allowed out again? What do we know about these sorts of cases? The question is, uh, is it live virus? Is it infectious virus that they're shedding? And, um, and it's a very difficult decision about when you can actually let people out when you know that they're still shedding virus. And I'm not quite sure. We, I should have found this out before we went to air, but I'm not quite sure what's happening with these three, whether they're out and about or whether they're at home waiting to actually go negative. Well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today. If you want to ask a question, please go, and lots of you do, please go to abc.net.au slash coronacast. Click ask a question and mention coronacast. It makes makes it easier for us to pick it up. And we will see you tomorrow. See you then.